Hi guys, welcome to the Now podcast. In today's episode, we have Megha Bhatia. Megha is the founder of an NGO called Arvo, which is working to prevent child sexual abuse. Megha is also a TEDx speaker and also the winner of National Youth Icon Award 2019. In this episode, we talked about her journey, her vision, and how meditation and self love has changed her life. Let's dive into it. Wanted to start. How does your organization started? I started this organization last year, but I've been researching on this issue of child sexual abuse for a very long period of time, and I got this idea of starting a, starting an organization because uh, in London I was researching on prevention of child sexual abuse, and before that I was interning uh, with an NGO and I used to go to police stations. So actually seeing girls as young as seven years old or nine years old getting raped and they sharing their stories with me, I used to take them for medical examination, MLCs, and all the legal procedure. I think that was the time I realized we really need to help these young children. But when I went to London, I realized a lot of work has been uh, a lot of work is government is doing a lot of work on protection, but less work is being done on prevention. And prevention is possible. Like it's been proven in researches that if we teach our children on how to say no, we can prevent child sexual abuse. But in our country, we're not even allowing our children to raise their voice. So that's why the concept of our work came that we as adults need to add our voice to theirs so that it's heard by the society. So do children come up with their stories? Like victims come up with their stories. So how hard is that? Like oh. making that child open up you know it's kind of hard to open up about these things it's initially hard but i think if you're teaching it in the right manner and like in our workshops we become the didi bhaiya so it's easy for children to open up with us rather than to open up with the teachers who have been in the school for like 10 years 20 years so they easily open up with us because they find that comfort zone ki ha we can raise our voice and we won't be blamed for it we won't be ashamed for it so yeah it's initially tough but if you if we create that environment children open up and how do you deal with those stories it's so sensitive you know yeah. especially it's it is involving children and the topic is so sensitive yeah. society is not supporting it so how do you deal with that as an organization and as an individual so there are a lot of issues that uh, come up first of all when we talk about the sensitivity of the issue we have a psychologist on board with us so she can that session specifically for our volunteers so that our volunteers are capable enough to actually respond to abuse because there are times like i remember when i first time heard my friend's story i wanted to cry but i couldn't so i went to my car and i started crying so it's important that the volunteers are actually trained so our psychologist helps us a lot in that that part of the thing so how do you take this forward like some if a child has like reported an abuse with you and your team so how do you take it forward okay uh, so since we work on prevention of child sexual abuse we only work on prevention so whenever a case comes up we actually handle make sure that the case is handled case is reported on the first hand and we we uh, actually handle the case to child help line that is 1098 so they take over the case after that once it's reported it's their responsibility to actually uh, go to the police station or help with the Legal procedure, but there are times because there are there were times when even I went to the police station and made sure that the FIR was filed because there are situations in which police officers also refuse that we are not going to file an FIR. There is no evidence. So since I am from a legal background, I can raise a point that so you don't need an evidence in this case. You cannot refuse to file an FIR. So we work on prevention, but there are times when we have when we have to take that one step forward and being like we try to help the child. 
All right. So you have mentioned you have a lawyer background. You you holds a lawyer degree, right? Yes. So how does the transition came? You become you have a lawyer degree and then you become a social entrepreneur. Okay. So um, I still remember in my first four years of law college, I used to do internship at high court, law law courts, patiyalas, thesisari, and I never saw the actual reality, the grassroots reality. It was in the final year where I when I saw the actual reality, visiting police stations, uh, going to government hospitals, and that was the time I realized I have a legal degree, but the, if you want to bring a change, you need to start from the grassroots level, and I think that's. That's how actually seeing the grassroots reality was enough to shake me up and was enough to actually allow me to work for that cause. So how is that different being a lawyer and being a social entrepreneur? It is completely different because when you are a social entrepreneur, you are doing everything like from marketing, from uh, actually organizing admin work, accounting work, uh, conducting workshops, like every single thing. And if, even if you don't know something, you have to do that thing. Like right now, we are working on a book for children. Like it's it's a book in which parents can teach their children about sexual abuse in a child-friendly manner. So from writing a book to conducting workshops to handling accounting. It's completely different. If you're an entrepreneur, you are doing everything. If you're a lawyer, obviously you're just handling the legal cases. So it's holds apart. And how is normal entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurship are different? I think in social entrepreneurship, you are uh, you are making an impact into the society, and your vision is to change the society or change the mindset of the people or do something good for the society. In entrepreneurship, there is. a slight thing of money making or yeah to earn good amount of money but i think in social entrepreneurship it's more for the cause all right but uh, like there are so many people you know who wants to be a social entrepreneur but that money factor you live you need money to survive in this world right yeah. so I, i know causes are important and but still if you want to work full time and you know bring that change you need to do first of all you have to work full time right mm-hmm. to bring that passion and energy completely into that and mm-hmm. but that thing that is holding so many people around me is how do we earn money as a social entrepreneur how do we make a life how do sustain our living okay so it's initially very tough it's very tough even it's even at this stage it's tough for us because we are because we are just one year old so it's tough to earn money out of it it's not going to be easy it's not a piece of cake but if you have the right guidance you have to develop a business model out of it you have you need the right guidance so that aap sahi uh, so that you can actually Uh, target the right source to earn money, or maybe make it a business model. It's tough, but eventually, you will, when you start working, you eventually find out a way to like at least sustain yourself and your organization. So you have worked with many organizations in London and in India. Also, do you know any business model like popular business model or common business models? Um, that can give just a hint to the people who are thinking okay. to be an entrepreneur, social like, entrepreneur. Uh, what we are doing was initially we were not charging for our workshops at MCD schools because they don't have the capacity to pay. But now we'll be charging, or uh, we'll be charging for our workshops from private school because they have the capacity to pay. Or maybe organizing teacher training, then you can charge for the training part. So if you want to sustain your organization, you have to think about an earning source so that you can keep employees. You can actually pay pay out their salaries because. If you are volunteers, they are going to come for like a certain period of time. Some day they will be free, some day they won't be. But the workshops should not stop. Yes. So for that, you need full-time employees, and it's just you can charge a normal amount. And like NGOs do crowdfunding, and you know, yes. so does NGOs keep a part with themselves to sustain their organization, or the whole amount goes to the 
causes or I think major amount goes to the causes, but there is some amount that NGOs keep for the admin work, so that they can take out the salaries of the employees. Yeah. Okay, so like NGOs coming up, NGOs can use that crowdfunding part just to sustain their life, not like using a major part, but you know, it's a, when you are doing crowdfunding, uh, the for example, you all you charge for the uh, you charge for the person who is going to go and conduct the workshop. In all crowdfunding right. also. So, for example, if we are saying that um, uh, we are going to conduct workshop for around 500 students, you all you have to include the travel expenses. You have exactly. to include the person who is conducting the workshop. Yeah, so it's included in it. Okay, so what advice do you give give to the people who wants to be a social entrepreneur and Okay, it's not gonna be an easy journey. It's gonna be a journey full of obstacles. You're gonna meet people who are gonna demotivate you. They'll demean you. They'll say you cannot do that. But if you have that passion and if you know that what you're doing is gonna make an impact, if you know that what you feel is gonna actually make an impact and change children's lives or any other cause. Do it. Don't let people demean you because they are seeing the world from their limited mindset. What you can dream and what you can think, and they cannot think that way. So uh, I remember this uh, line by Albert Einstein. He said, "Great minds are always underestimated by mediocre minds." So keep on following your passion. There will be people who will be guiding you. You'll find the right people on your way. So yeah, never stop. All right. So you're talking about grassroots. I've worked with many NGOs. So I've worked with in like slums and you know, mm -hmm. so I have, it's not about the only cause we, we are working. There's so many different things you see when you go to slums and you know, you work on the ground and there was many things and like I have seen th that shook me to the core. There were days when I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Like people don't have basic needs. They don't have clean drinking water. They don't have a shelter to live. Yeah. So how do you take those things? I felt that in those times, I felt that helplessness. I can't do anything for them. There are so many things that I can't do. Our team can't do, your organization, and any organization can't do. So how do you deal with that helplessness and you know, that demotivation, that, Okay, so there are times, this incident happened with me also, I was conducting a workshop at Gurgaon Islam with Robin and Army and uh, while we were conducting a workshop, there were 2-3 kids, they were actually urinating in front of us and there were 2-3 kids who were actually, uh, so they, they, they were given plates and they were waiting so that the food should be served to them and I realized that we are talking about abuse and we don't even have the basic facility, they don't have a home like, and they don't have food at that point of time, then I was shocked, I felt helpless. The second time I felt helpless was since we are working on prevention but a lot of time cases comes up and I want to work on protection also. And like should I may not help them, they are getting raped and stuff like that. Then I realized we are doing our bit, okay. We cannot do everything at this stage of our life. But what you can do is you can bring people together so that everybody do their bit. And once everybody is doing their bit, we can make a larger impact. So you feel helpless but at least be grateful that you are able to contribute a little bit into the society. So how I get over that thing, that feeling is, I heard someone saying, Ki focus on the solutions. We all know there are problems, but when we focus on solutions, you'll do your job better. Yes, absolutely. That's uh, important. Yes. So you have talked about like cases come, come up of rape and child sexual abuse and there's so many other things happening. Yes. 
so that leaves a trauma and suffering inside the people and they are and that is not like only limited to these these things there are so many other things like life throws you so many difficulties and people end up being traumatic and there are so many things that their whole life gets disrupted how do you suggest or what is your opinion about traumas and how do you heal that thing for me it has always been meditation i've been meditating for the last 7 years i've been into calling a practice i think meditation helps you a lot to get out, out of the trauma and since i deal with rape cases almost every day i'm hearing about a rape case or sometimes people call me up and they share their stories so it's very important for me to remain safe sane so it's meditation plays a very crucial role in this and there are other therapies also there are psychological therapies which can help cognitive behavior therapy eye movement therapy so they can help like there are healing processes which survivors can go through or the victim can go through so therapy psychological therapy but meditation is the crux all right so yeah. you want to talk about meditation like yes i would love who should <laughs> who should meditate when should meditate and what are the benefits you have yeah, you're getting yeah after it's one of the my best thing <laughs> so meditation you can meditate uh, like you can follow any of the practice i follow art of living um, but it's important that you spend time with yourself how meditation helps is it helps you to become focused it helps you to realize your own potential because what happens is we generally limit ourselves by the limits of other people by when you are meditating you are able to realize okay i can do this also i can do that also and you are clear you become more focused and uh, the people people's opinion and negativity you're not affected by it so when you're not affected by the negativity you are able to focus on your own goal and move forward and i believe you should meditate every day like i do in the morning uh, but you can meditate any time in morning or at night or you can meditate twice all right so you have talked about self love there are so many stories you share about self love so what exactly is self love hmm okay so self love is when you actually love yourself even if you know that you have some flaws okay you are nobody is perfect in this world but you still love yourself and you know your worth okay like i've seen the adolescent young girl who told me my boyfriend abuses me and i've been tolerating this for last one year if she would have known her worth if she would have loved herself enough she would have known that okay i'm not worth this i am worth a lot more than just actually tolerating abuse so self love is when you realize your worth when you know that uh, you have come into this world to do much more rather than just be a victim that is actually self love for me and how do we develop that self love inside of okay so i developed it when i went to london <laughs> i was there with uh, like i used to spend alone time uh, like i call it me time like because i was there alone like for like one year i've never been alone for one year so i used to go on a date with myself explore what i like what i don't like so best way to develop self love is go on a date with your own self spend time with your own self realize what you like realize what you don't like and accept yourself because i have heard people saying uh, we cannot go alone it's so boring so just imagine if it's boring for you how boring it will be for people who actually sit with you if you cannot sit with your own self so the best way is spend time with your own self and especially in this modern world like we have so many escape social media phone so it's kind of getting hard day by day to yes. spend time with yourself and actually enjoy it yes so how do you see, see social media as a part of like making life worse and you know that you know that self love part that meditation part mm-hmm. that mindfulness yes. like there's so much chaos and restlessness around us yes. 
So do you think social media is playing a major role in that as a negative? Uh, yeah, in some way it's negative, but it has a it surely has a very very positive role to play. I'll be sharing about that later. But it's negative because even I started having this habit like, okay, I'm doing work, let me check my Instagram. I'm doing work, oh, I'm gonna like on Instagram. So uh, these small small things we get addicted to it. So yeah, it's negative because if you are addicted to your phone, you cannot actually go away from it and spend one hour without your phone. It's like a task. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, it is a defect when we talk about self love. So when you want to spend time with yourself, switch off your phone, put it somewhere, like put it put it in a drawer, and then spend time with yourself. So spending time with yourself is not like taking selfie and being there for like one hour. No. And checking in on Facebook. No, please don't disturb me. I am spending me time. No. All right. So, what a normal day of a social entrepreneur looks like. It's different every day. It's literally different. So sometimes we are at schools and um, we are taking permission and interacting with principals. Sometimes it's like meeting DCPCR heads. Sometimes it's like conducting workshop, taking seminars. Sometimes meeting organizations or a networking networking place where you're interacting with different um, founders. So it's completely different every day. Yeah. And uh, how do you deal with bad days? Everyone. Gets bad days, and especially being a social worker and an entrepreneur, they must be much worse bad days than I guess <laughs> than other other people. Yeah. So how do you deal with that? It's kind of important that people know. Okay, so to be really really frank and to share the truth, it's okay to cry. Okay, so even if you're having a bad day, if you actually control your like cry or okay, I'm not going to get angry, you build up that emotion. So it's better cry for one hour. Feel bad about it, and then after that, it's okay. I've cried. Now go back and start working. So I do that. If I'm feeling bad, okay, I'll cry for one hour. But after that one hour, I'm back on my work. So there are bad days, but it's okay. Everybody has a bad day. So just move on. And meditation helps a lot. And self love comes into that also, right? So it's like when you cried and you have you are having a bad day, but if you love yourself enough, so you will be able to cope up with that. Self love. One more thing. So when you when you actually cry, then you realize why I'm doing it. Then all that instances comes in front of you that okay, that girl was sharing a story. Oh, that girl was raped. I need to help her. Then you realize this crying is not worth it. I need to do bigger things in life. So you move out of it and then you start working. All right. So uh, you are following your heart, your passion. Yes. These days, it's kind of hard to. Deal with you know to follow your heart. It's kind of easy to start with following your heart, but it's difficult to follow up with following your heart. <laughs> so how do you do that? Um, maybe it's the stories of people whom I have met. They keep me going. They keep my team going because trust me, when you hear when you hear the stories of children first time, you will be like. I can't stop. There is so much to do for them. So it's the stories and it's the people and children keep who keeps us motivated every single day. And children teaches us a lot. Yes. So what are some things that children have te- taught you in this journey? What I like, there are a lot of things that children have taught me. There was this one child who taught me the. Uh, like he taught me that we should keep on trying. We should never stop. Come what may, uh, that is one of the thing. There are a lot of things actually. There is not one specific thing. 
oh yeah, so there was this kid, I was asking him how can we change this world and he was like, we can change this, change this school by painting it or we can, uh, so he was actually telling me what are the things that we can improve in the school. So I was astonished to see that a four years child has so much, he wants to do so much, he's dreaming big and he has no limits. So that is one of the things that when we become adult, we are limited. Oh, we cannot, we can just do a four to six job. We cannot do this. So children teach us that we can do anything. Like nothing is impossible. That is one of the things. And the lesson that every child teaches us is like, you should be alive at every moment, you know. Yes. I've learned that. <laughs> yeah, they're playful. They're like, yeah. we don't care. We're gonna uh-huh. play. And yeah, second thing is, they be the way they are. Okay, if they want to cry, they will cry. If they want to play, they will play. They won't care ki what the other person is thinking about themselves. That is the best thing. So do whatever you want to do. Even if you want to cry, talk to people. That's the best thing that a child They are not actors, say. right? They are people. They are not actors, <laughs> yes. They share their feelings out. They are yeah. truthful. I think this is the more major defect that when we become adults, we start hiding our feelings. So if you are hiding your feelings, realize that you become an adult. <laughs> <laughs> and you're losing that part of being alive. Yeah. Alright. So I heard somewhere that art plays and storytelling plays an important role in child sexual abuse. Yeah. So is that true? And um, I'm not much aware about it, but uh, since I've read research papers, so there are art therapies. Uh, therapies can help a lot in actually healing the child as well as disclosing the child, disclosing child sexual abuse because. What happens is when a child is abused, sometimes all the children are not comfortable in sharing it. So what they uh, what they can do is they sometimes draw the abuse. So yeah. in art therapy, if they're drawn in abuse, we are able to identify okay, this child is abused. We need to take an action. So therapies can help. Yeah, as the researchers, it helps a lot. Yes. Okay. So there's one important thing. I guess all your NGO follows a workshop pattern. You organize a workshop in a school, in a college, or in a slum. And most of the work NGOs are doing following the same pattern. But I want to know, does a, a workshop, a single workshop, like 20, 30, or 60 minutes workshop, does it really makes an impact on the child? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, it does. I know 60 minutes is too less to make an impact but what I have seen from my experience is it does because uh, what we do in our workshop is we conduct a group workshop for 40 minutes and then next 10 minutes we are interacting one to one with the child and it what matters is the atmosphere that you are creating with the child so we our volunteers become like didi, didi bhaiya so they are able to share things which they are not even able to share with their teachers who are there in the school for like 30 years 35 years so it's all about the atmosphere building the trust building that you can do so in our workshop for 20 minutes we just do the trust building activities once children trust you they will share things with you and they will have that comfort level so yeah even if it's not just one hour you can bring make that trust in 30 minutes so yeah it works but follow-up is important so what we do is um, we make a children leader in every class that we go to and it's a responsibility of the children leader to ensure that the child conducts the workshop every week and make sure if any of the like abuse cases comes up they report it okay so do you think there's any better alternative than conducting workshops maybe it's not happening or it's not feasible right now but do you have anything in mind that can work better than workshops uh, there are other things which can work, like we are developing a comic book which children, uh, like children can yeah, learn from comic book. Yes. Uh, we are developing videos, uh, children can learn from videos, but personally, I think if you won't interact with the child one to one, 
it's not going to happen workshops are the core like for example if i have a daughter like i tell my daughter okay watch this video and you learn things from it nobody will be asking her what exactly happened with her so videos books are good but one to one connection is the must okay so what is your vision about expanding this and reaching it to more children and preventing more and more of child this this thing happening okay so i want these workshops to be compulsory in schools i want schools to have preventive steps like there are ncpcr guidelines that every school need to have a child abuse monitoring committee i want these committees to be there at every single school i want alwa to be not limited to just one district not just delhi but to expand it reach to every single state in india and then have global presence like we already have volunteers from uh, london usa and canada but to expand our reach and include more such volunteers and initiate some global campaigns for protection of children this this is my favorite question of all okay i called it a 3 by 3 matrix so what are the three people three habits and three books that have impacted your life the most okay Uh, so when we talk about three people, uh, first is Sushant. Uh, Sushant was the person with whom I shared my idea for the first time, and he's a consultant in London, and he actually guided me on how to achieve my vision and how to start this organization. He has been an inspiration. Second would be my twin sister Swati because she's like a constant motivation for me, and um, she's there with me almost twenty four seven. So second will be Swati, and third will be my dad because he has supported me a lot. He has always believed in me. But I've heard stories in which people say that my family won't support me. I think my family has supported me in every step of my life. So these are the three people who matter a lot. Um, and three habits. Okay, first habit is obviously meditation. <laughs> I'm whatever I am today. I'm because of meditation. Second is self love. Third is actually uh, acceptance, accepting people the way they are, and not judging them because every person is different. And actually accepting the way the people are, it has helped me a lot. So three habits. Three, three books. Three books. Okay, I'm a very big fan of Robin Sharma. So uh, the Greatness Guy, Five A.M. Club, and the Leader Without a Title. Okay. Is there any like one favorite of book of Robin Sharma that you recommend to everyone should read? Ah, uh, the lead, the leader, the leader without a title. Okay. It's a nice book. Okay. So, how do you define success and failures? Success and failure. Okay. For me, success is not how much money you are having. Success is when you're happy with the work that you're doing. and you're able in the journey you're able to realize your fullest potential and you're able to develop yourself in the journey so i will call myself successful when i am giving the best version of myself i am giving whatever i can and i'm 100% there so for me success is that and failures okay so one of my friend told me take when you call fail it basically means first attempt in learning So failures are very necessary so that you can work on yourself and you can do better. So failures are just like your best friends who are just trying to be bad at that point of time to help you to become a better version of yourself. 